The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Okay, so November 20th, I don't know if you know this, that is the birthday of Bleacher Blums. Oh, the first time we did it at my house? Really? At my house or is it the, okay. When we sat in the front room? Not not the in your dish, whatever that was. Okay, that's right. That was terrible. Yeah, don't Google that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. November 20th? Are you serious? And we're going to hit 200 right around the same day. I mean. Isn't that four years now? Three years? I can't do the math. 200 if we're doing one a week, 52 a year. So we got to be on fourth year. Yeah. How about us? Finishing. Yeah. Woo. Can I get some audio from that? Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't know where to find it. But, yeah, you might be able to. I mean, you talk about doing some digging. I wonder if I'll be able to do that right now. Are we? Are we That'd recording? be kind of cool. Yeah, we're recording, but that's all right. We don't have a lot. It's hot stove, baby. We have no baseball. That is. Hot I can't stove. believe Justin Verlander opted out of his contract. This was crazy talk. Like madness. They he make it sound money. like it's news. No, <laughs> just always want. Well, you know who screwed that's that all. up? There's only one guy that screwed that up, and it's and it's you know it's Max Scherzer because mm-hmm. Steve Cohen decided to go out there and oh yeah well. <laughs> We'll give you forty three and a half million. Yeah. What to make to make twenty five starts or whatever? Like that sounds yeah. like a pretty good deal. I would do that. Yeah, now. this is genius. Like, I'll take that deal. Yeah. So why wouldn't you? If you just came off of Tommy John and won a Cy Young, why wouldn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. fella. Okay. Oh, well, you found how it. How would I found it? You now, probably I just have wonder how do I Sean get it to you? Okay, that is good it's there. Stuff. That's all we this know. Is r- it's there. Riveting, riveting podcast listening, folks. We found episode number one of Bleacher Blooms, which was four years ago. Oh, wow. December, I'm t- right here, no. November 20th, 2018. Welcome. This is Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Here's Blummer. You just heard it. That is the official opening of my podcast. I'm calling it Bleacher Blum, kind of a play on 
words a little bit and my last name. Uh, Bleacher Bums out there watching a lot of sports. When I'm not calling games, I am usually... That might have been another name for the uh, podcast is talking with Tuttle in the parking lot. But I want to welcome in David Tuttle, who's all the way out in Southern California. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, man. How's the weather out there? Uh, I don't know. I'm assuming it's better than it is in Houston, but that's just an assumption. Well, I woke up today. It's Tuesday, October, October, November 27th. Um, and it was nice. Four years ago. We made it through wow. COVID with this podcast. Are you kidding me? Oh, Dude. yeah. Wait. I mean, that's exactly how. Yeah. We kind of, yeah. I mean, that's what everybody was doing. They were Everything doing their own made Zoom versions of podcasts. <laughs> no, but they I just know. weren't that's cool as us. No, no. We made it through COVID. <laughs> don't, don't diminish what we accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> what we have done. Yeah. Uh, Bleacher Blums right. is the name of the podcast. <clears throat> Some of you will be listening to this for the 100th and 99th time. And we appreciate you because without you, we don't do this. Because I can talk to Tuttle anytime I want. But I just felt that Tuttle needed to be on air and have the pressure of being being a media guru. So I am joined every week on this podcast, the Bleacher Blums podcast, with my good friend David Tuttle. And over over the last maybe, I don't know, we have to figure out when Mark Ramos came on because we, we have gotten better <laughs> since Mark has been on oh, here. Way better. Because I am no longer the audio engineer. I'm no longer the promoter. I mean, I promote a little bit, but he is the, he's, the, he's the gears that grind this and uh, make it happen. So we appreciate Mark being on, along for this ride. It's been good to develop that relationship and that friendship. But Tuttle, man, we, we are at 199, and we are going to celebrate our four-year anniversary of this podcast on November 20th. Uh, what a long, crazy, wild run it's been, and we have been steady Eddie. We have uh, we have a great listenership that has been faithful to us, and we've been faithful to this podcast. And can you believe it? Ha! Believe it. I actually believe it. Um, yeah, no, it's been – I don't really – I mean, you know, it, it's It doesn't funny. feel like four years. It doesn't. Isn't that how friendships and- are supposed to be? Bingo. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is just fun. We just do it for fun. That's the whole idea. I mean, you have like nine podcasts now and we were talking about your appearances around town in Houston and like, this is what you do for a living, but this one is kind of, uh, you know, it just kind of stayed under the radar, stayed steady. I think, um, probably in four years we've missed, you know, like two weeks in terms of like actually like seven days apart and we've gone, Oh, we got to mm-hmm. do 10 days or we got to do, but in four years, we probably missed about two deadlines. I think if there are such things and it's been a lot of fun, I, I think you nailed it. I think the fact that there isn't a lot of pressure and the fact that we just get on here and talk about things that we enjoy talking about has been great. I mean, it certainly does not feel like four years, especially when every time we go, how long have we been doing this? And we're like, we pull out the calculator, <laughs> I don't know, two <laughs> years, three years, five years. I don't know. So it's been a lot of yeah. fun for sure. It has been a lot of fun. And and just so a lot of fans, uh, especially those that have been there since day one, we greatly appreciate you. We're going to try, I'm going to try and get Mark, our, our producer, uh, audio engineer, so many other things he's done for us. I'm going to try and get, some to get that podcast to him and see if he can't pull any audio from it to kind of roast us a little bit or maybe compare my audio editing skills to his because it's not going to be pretty but dude i don't think it was your auto audio editing i think it was you know me with the ums and oopses and this and that and not knowing how to do things and then we were in echoey rooms with less uh, oh, the room, yeah solid i was equipment. recording in 
Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. So it's getting good. Yeah, yeah it's getting good. It, it, COVID did one thing. Good. It got us all, everyone got yeah. a home podcast studio, even people that shouldn't have them. Exactly. It's great. So uh, a lot of fun. We appreciate you. And again, you can find myself on Instagram and Twitter at Blummer27. And of course, you can always find Tuttle on Instagram and on um Twitter at Real David Tuttle. And make sure you follow at Bleacher Blums on Instagram, Twitter, and go to YouTube and check out our channel because we do have some video up there and we have a good time with that. But uh, make sure you're following at Bleacher Blums. You can also go to bleacherblums.com, catch up on past episodes. Uh, we'll, we'll get that earliest episode up uh, possibly here pretty soon. But uh, a lot of swag out there too, a lot of blummerisms and a lot of uh, Bleacher Blum swag, like the, the the lid I've got on and the, I don't know, you've got one of a kind. No, I think you have You got hooked too. up. Yeah. No, well, I don't have, have the black, I've got the gray. I'm a, I'm a little partial to the lighter gray, uh, but you've got that jet black where the logo really pops on that thing. So yeah, you look nice. good, there dude. You go. Yeah. Bleacher Blums. There you go. Get hey, your Bleacher Blums swag. Get your, get your swag. I'm sure Mark is like, sweet. More stuff to print out. He's been working like crazy with all of uh, his Ram shirts that he's been cranking out there. Hey, uh, it's been a crazy week, dude. I got to go watch golf. It was awesome. These guys are really freaking good. Tony Finau led wire to wire at the Houston Open. And just to give you a good idea of what we're going through out here, Tuttle, and how crazy the weather is, first two days of the tournament, Thursday, beautiful, 85 degrees, humid. Oh, work up a good lather. Ball was flying. It was gorgeous. Sun was out. Friday, same thing in the morning. Afternoon, this cold front comes through. Thunderstorms, shuts down play. Wake up the next day. I think the first tea time had a temperature of about 40 degrees. What? And then the next day, tea time was about 45 degrees. So it was kind of interesting, but Tony Finau ended up winning that thing. Did you happen to catch any of my, uh, speaking of sound equipment, did you happen to catch any of my little, my, my mini mic moments that, you I, mentioned that I had on it. Instagram? You mentioned <laughs> it and I looked on Twitter. I'm very poor on Twitter, but I laughed. So, right. I, I think I tweeted out, is that a large mic or, or small hands, something like Just, that? Yeah. Large, large hands, small mic, something like that. I don't know. But, but yeah, hilarious. That's, is that the technology we're moving to now? Like, I know it looked like a, if um, we, one dude, of those chess mics, right? That they put on your thing and you're it's walking a around. Like, yeah, but I'm holding yeah. it instead of like pinning yeah. it to my shirt. It was, but it yeah. sounded great. It, it did sound good, but it does so, look a little funny when four big it's, guys. It's like, a little hey, goofy when I'm, I'm holding it like a wee little. Do you remember uh, Fletch lives? So the second Fletch where he's oh, looking wow. for the little termite. And he's like, me, yeah. me, me, me. You know, get down on the floor. You can barely see these things. He was doing that. Like, no, meticulous rare Cuomo. And he's like giving the little, me, me, me. That's what you look like. You were just like holding it to people's ears. Anyway, super funny. But, no, but sound what, quality but, but, was great. It was great. But it, the, it's funny that this is the anniversary of, our, of four years doing this podcast because he handed me the little microphone. I'm like, how good can this thing be? And I'm holding it like to my chin. And he goes, could you hold it further away? Because it sounded like I was screaming into this thing. Oh. And I'm going, man, if if Tuttle and I just had little mini mics, we would have sounded so much better. <laughs> Back at episode one, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, what have you been up to this week? What What is the Tuttle household and what is David Tuttle? Because you talked about Veterans Day was last week. Did you do that workout you were talking about? Did the workout. It was difficult as always, but uh, certainly worthwhile. So had a little vet Veterans Day honor um, for, I think I cannot, I should, I, I have it. I have his name, but anyway, we did uh, the hero workout badger. 
for a 27-year-old Navy SEAL who uh, died in combat. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, college applications, which you went through last year. I think we touched oh, on that last yeah. time. Oh, so, yeah. How's that going? Yeah. That's great. We submitted a few. The UC applications are due in a week, and we're pretty much done. So thank God. I, I, you, you. This is how we ended last podcast. But you intimated how much easier it was for athletes being recruited and like, all right, where do you want to go to school? Like, you know. And there were some choices. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I could have, you know, signed out of high school, or I could have like chosen this school instead. Mm-hmm. Or, but it wasn't like, yeah. I didn't lay in bed at night thinking, like, you know, what community service had I uh, done to oh, you know, make myself a better citizen? Which, you know, we don't we don't have to get into politics, but I live on the left coast now, and I don't think my wife would be curious about moving to the third coast. But you must know that the UC system and the Board of Regents they want to know like what COVID clinic did you start? And, you know, what did you do with your free time? And like, instead of your oh, GPA man. and your SAT, it's kind of like, all right, well, I guess grades and GPA don't really, or GPA and SAT doesn't <laughs> matter as much as, you know, what did you do with your free time? What kind of spiritual harmony did you create with your culture and your society? So anyway, that's a little tongue in cheek to say that, you know, you got to be a really well-rounded person and a really um, articulate and creative thinker as you're putting these applications together to see if these uh, institutions will allow you to attend as you know. So, yeah, that, that painted <laughs> a very, very vibrant picture to be honest. Yes. I was not anticipating that, man, that was excellent. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm, so, I'm a UC system guy, man. Yes, <laughs> so, you are. Oh yes, yeah, you are. You should see, you know, what's funny. You talk about the third coast and I mean, this is way, way off topic, mm. but you should see when, down here in Houston, when I tell when I tell people, they go, "Hey, did you go to college?" And I'm like, "I love it because I mean, it's like it's kicking a hornet's nest." Oh yeah, I go, oh yeah. I go, I went to UC Berkeley, and they immediately <laughs> are like, oh, "Yeah, oh, they back up, they get a little weird." Yeah. I'm like, "Don't yeah. worry, I've made it out alive. I'm good. Right. I'm not yeah. that way. I'm not this way. I'm just kind of right here, yeah. <laughs> like we talk re- about." We always say lockstep. Let's all work together. I mean, yeah. Put, talk about a. Stigma, I want the best though. for yeah. you, and if you, if you want the best That's for right. me, we, we'll we'll figure it out. That's right. Out of all the UCs, though, Berkeley just has a stick. I know it, it? but that's and everybody. Right. You can't imagine if I had a nickel for every time I went. Oh, Berserkley? Okay, yeah, got it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but just you go live ahead in make Houston. A deposit. You're yeah, you're one of the, you're one of the good ones because you're out there, you know, making a good name for us Californians in Texas. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, uh, dang it. I had something on the tip of my tongue. Um, well, I had a couple things. So a couple, we can hit the St. Arnold. What's on tap? Let's say that's okay. That happens all the time over here. Yes, I'm Uh, old. Not necessarily with you. Uh, so James Click did not come back. That was kind of one of our big topics. There it is. So James Click is on the discussion. Um, and I think last time, again, uh, not to be predictive, but like we have our finger on the pulse, but I think we kind of said if he doesn't get longer than a year contract, he probably won't re-sign. Uh, there you go. Um, so Tuttle James knows. Click, we'll talk Tuttle about pulls. him. Uh, we were going to talk about maybe some of the contracts, and uh, I know the hot stove's early, but J- Justin Verlander opting out of his contract, which wasn't Very unexpected. But it's no, it wasn't unexpected, but it's certainly a worth to- worth talking about. I do have something I want to bring up to you, and I think I put it on our notes last time. But uh, somebody threw this out, and maybe I'll save it for the podcast because I don't know if I should tease it as much. Anyway, just a um, it, it relates to tanking 
in all sports, like tanking for the top draft right now. We have this uh, mm. that Wembayama, the guy. They're ta- they're talking about how many teams can tank for this seven footer um, mm-hmm. the, in the NBA, and you know we've heard that before. Baseball's not as keen on tanking, but uh, anyway, I have something that I thought were um, well certainly relates to that, and I think I'd like to hear your thoughts on. So we will tease that, but leave it for uh, later in the podcast. So, um, and then there's probably some hot stove things that you want to bring up. Maybe, um, I don't know, some payroll salary where, you know, I guess the Aaron judge thing is still out there. So let's go James click, Justin Verlander, Aaron judge. And then I got a little secret there. So that's what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold Blummer. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the, I think the Yankee situation is kind of interesting. They're going to have probably have one of the more interesting postseasons. We'll get into that. Because, like you said, the judge, the judge issue, and watching, watching some of the uh, John Boy Twitter feeds oh. is very interesting. It's almost as if, but never mind. Yeah. Just stay tuned. Yeah. Well, let because we got to get into John Boy stealing uh, like T-shirt themes too. What the heck is what that? The Did f- I see that? Hey, Sorry, ooh, what the sh- that. dude? He's straight up just taking my words and putting it on John Boy bullshit sucks. Mm-hmm. That, man, are you allowed to okay. do something? Do you, do you need an attorney? I don't have a patent. I, I, I don't wanna... have a trademark on it. I mean, but the fact that he, in the, in Yankee, the, what the yeah? It was isn't bad. John Boy? He was the guy that outed all the Astros, and now he's doing like Astros. He's, he like, developed a, a media company off of the sign stealing scandal. Yeah, that is yeah. his own. That's the only right. reason he's about relevant. And right. then he's and well, now, now he's, he's selling T shirts for the Astros. Said, yeah, come on. Get hey, I, do you know get the? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get the, you know, <laughs> different than Inya. Um, you know what? What? Uh, what bothers me about that more than anything is you're right. He developed a media company on the Astros thing. He obviously put his heart and soul into it. But I've heard him on you know pretty pretty national shows. Um, I've heard him on uh, Rich Eisen's show before talking about his media company and how he used to do this stuff on the side at his old job. How would you like to have him as your in your employ and he's working on his day job? He's doing all these like video editing and lip reading things. Anyway, yeah, too much time on him. I just feel like yeah, there should be a way to we, there should be a way to blow up his uh, to blow up his yeah. ability to do anything with the Astros. So sorry about that. Little segue. No, it's all right. So there was actually some big news out here in Houston, and it's actually national news now that the Astros are the World Series champions. And you know, we we have an owner down here in Jim Crane who is who's willing to spend the money, and obviously spent the money to win. So he's get he's garnered a lot of national attention. Obviously, 2017 has developed media companies out of it, and like we just talked about, but also a lot of national attention. But with the Astros winning the World Series, everybody's kind of coming around to the fact that these guys are really good. But where the Astros are, there will be stories. And one of the biggest stories, two of the biggest stories, and we've talked about it on our podcast plenty about the Astros organization, Dusty Baker, how does he fit in in the future? How is James Click going to work in? And we found out in the last week and a half that Dusty Baker is going to continue it for at least, he took the one-year deal and will continue to be the Astros manager for one more year, which is great news down here. It's been well-received. I think Dusty is one of those guys, um, and let's we can talk a little bit about Dusty because you have experience with him being a Giants manager, but when he signed with the Astros, his initial idea for his role was to kind of deflect a lot of the negativity that was around the team in 2020. But he kind of evolved into a relatively good manager with this team, I feel. But during the regular season, I think any manager 
There's the Aaron Boones, the David Roberts, uh, the Dusty Bakers, some of these other guys. Rob Thompson got a lot of scrutiny with the Phillies in the postseason, but throughout the course of the regular season, yes, we're gonna we're gonna disagree with some of the moves. We don't know a lot what's going on internally, but for us as in our baseball minds, we'll disagree every once in a while, which is fine. We can we can be a little more you know opinionated, but at the same time, I thought Dusty did a good job in the postseason. How do you feel about Dusty coming back? It, it feels like a feel-good story of him winning the World Series finally and being able to get another opportunity maybe to try and win again. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think he's the guy that should come back. I mean, I think it would actually cause a little too much um, um, you know, discomfort if he left at this moment. And yeah, that's just because you, you know, we interviewed him. On, actually, you interviewed him, and then we've we've actually put the those snippets on our podcast before when he was hired in 2020. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mom's 79. I keep talking about how sharp she is. I mean, Dusty Baker is no Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I mean, Dusty Baker is <laughs> really God. sharp, really sharp, really articulate, still in. I mean, it's a grind for him. But I mean, if you look at the wear and tear on our favorite managers like uh, Lou Pinella and Tony LaRussa in terms of, Oof. you know, the nightlife and the stress and whatever those guys are doing, Dusty Baker's the opposite, in my opinion. He's very um, great, great yeah, point. Uh, Thank you. He's very uh, regal is the wrong word, but he's very well put together. He is articulate. And, you know, again, what we've said about his actual baseball acumen is that he is not beholden to the analytics. He goes by gut feel. He's been around the game a long, long time. And look, he's having success doing it his way. So I think he's in a different situation. I know we're going to get to James Click, but where Dusty Baker is probably like all of us, we joke about, right? We're all day to day. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's 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 the perfect manager to have with the with this group of veteran guys like you know Bregman and uh, Verlander and now Valdez, like letting him go and you know and and just kind of keeping this core group together. But he's a perfect manager to go year to year at his age. Yeah. You know, yep, I got one more in me. All right, we won it all. Great. I got another one I didn't in me. Think about it that and way. So, That's actually pretty good. No, but I'm just saying so next year if it, you know, if they lose in the championship right. it, series it makes or if more they sense. win it again. Yeah, yeah, then he can decide whether he wants to come back or not. But now it's now he can write his own ticket, and I think he's the perfect manager. And and I would say to you, I I think you agree with me that he's a good guy to bring back, but what, who would you put in his place, right? Do you go on a big manager search? That's like, probably the better, yeah. Right. So, Well, I know who so, I would put, and it'd, uh, be, it'd be too easy because <laughs> as long as we're talking about coaches, they they signed yeah. back Joe Espada and Omar Lopez, uh, right. two, yeah. two integral parts of that dugout. But at the same you – know, but I, if I was the GM, again, you know, it'd be easy. I'd be like, Dusty – if you you make the decision, we'll keep extending yeah. this thing as long as you want to go, kind of thing. He said he wants to come back. Like you, you kind of nailed it with the idea of him in comparison to some of these older managers. He's he's done it the right. He's done a lot of things the right way, yep. including handling himself and and as far as just overall health at his age. And if I had to make a replacement, it would have been internally. I think Joe Spot is a phenomenal human, number one. Number two, I think he has a really good handle on what the Astros are doing and deserves the job because he handles both English-speaking and Latin-speaking players extremely well and could really just kind of continue this ship in the direction it's moving. That being said, the real big topic is James Click. James Click came in at the same time as Dusty Baker did. 
and his tenure is over because he declined that one-year option to come back for another year. The pay was increased, so they tried to entice him to stay for one more year at a higher uh, annual value. But I think that we're finding out that maybe there was some underlying friction between, you know, Jim and James, which makes this conversation that much tougher because Jim and James trying to separate all that. James, but, Jim, uh, Jimmy, James, Jimmy, Jimerson. Yeah. yeah. Now all of a sudden we're at Jimmy John's. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, Jim Crane is one of those more, he, he's, a, he's more on the aggressive side, I would say, for owners as far as spending money, getting players, being involved. Um, you know, he expects that relationship to be good enough to have the conversation with his GM. You know, I, there were stories that him and Jeff Luno didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, but he was, but I, I applaud Jim for always having the conversation or wanting to at least have the conversation, but ultimately he's in control and he's one of the, I don't know how many owners are out there, but he actually approves and disapproves trades, you know, based on value or personnel. But James Click tenure at the Houston Astros is over. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that, uh, considering what you know about the situation yourself? Yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. You seem to have some more intel. But uh, I, I just think it's funny because I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, I, I you know, we're we're in the middle of fantasy football with the NFL. You know, the owners that are involved, right? The uh, you know <laughs> Jeff Luries and the Jerry Jones of the world that end up having mm-hmm. a soundbite every week. Jim Crane is certainly one of the more hands-on owners. I mean, I couldn't tell you who owns about 20 of the 32 major league teams, mm-hmm. but there are those group of owners where you're like, oh yeah, that guy, yeah, he's definitely involved. He, you know, you know, Artie Moreno comes to mind. Um, you know, obviously Magic Johnson's group bought the Dodgers, but they seem a little more removed out here. So there are a few groups that get involved, but I do think it has to do with not just hands-on. Now, Jim, James Click is in a different situation. He's young. He came from Tampa Bay, as we talked about last time. He had a lot of success there, taking kind of the little engine that could and keeping them in the hunt every year into the playoffs and the World Series and things like that. And then this year, he built the bullpen. So he should have his chest puffed out, and he should have some expectations. But, you know, this is like any good marriage or relationship. you got to have a good, you know, I think, Jim Crane knew that if he offered him maybe more money, but a one-year deal, he probably wouldn't stay. So it was almost one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like, look, a shot in the dark, let's put out this little like uh, peace pipe or olive branch to see if he'll stay. But I think all along, um, what you know, that's what you had kind of intimated was that James Click probably wouldn't be back. And, you know, I it's probably not as surprising to I don't know, folks that are around the two of them. And I think, like you said, this is just one of those things where um, they probably agreed they just couldn't work together. It had nothing to do with the success or whatever else, you know, was going on behind the scenes. I mean, do you have any sort of information you're allowed to share or that um, you know differently? I mean, I yeah, think Yeah, I mean, kind obviously I'm going to hear things. I'm, I'm <clears throat> much closer to the organization. But yes. there's, some, there's also something that I heard in the last couple of days that I, I didn't think about at the time that all of this went down. Could you imagine being an owner of a team that is very successful, has, has, has this winning window that they're in, and then you get blown up on the sign stealing scandal. You got to fire your GM, you fired your manager, and all of a sudden you're in spring training and you're sitting there going, I, I need a manager, I need a GM now. Could you imagine trying to find a general manager who is willing to come into the situation 
after a sign stealing scandal. So somebody is going to have to move in and be the front man for an organization that's not in turmoil, but definitely within a scandal ridden situation. So I would imagine the talent pool that he was able to draw from was smaller. And I didn't think about that at the time because you signed Dusty Baker and that guy was a luxury. I mean, you talk about a great guy to squeeze into that moment and having him available at that moment was great because everybody loves Dusty and Dusty handles the media extremely well, whether you like it or not, he can get short with some people, but he's always going to give you a good answer and deflect away from the negativity. So Dusty was a brilliant, fortunate choice. Whereas James Click, I think on paper, you looked at James and you said, okay, uh, worked with a frugal team. I love the idea of the little engine that could because you kind of had to do some things behind the scenes and alter that engine a little bit to get it to go uphill because they didn't have the finances. So you've got a guy who's frugal, smart, uh, has developed winning players in a winning organization. He would fit perfectly over here. And you've also got the pedigree of Tampa Bay with Andrew Friedman in L.A. You've got Hein Bloom up in uh, Boston. I think there, there's a dude in... Uh, San Francisco, maybe that kind of peeled off all of this, you know, this this Tampa Bay onion and is spread out. So you kind of said, the okay, Tampa Bay coaching tree, like the Belichick tree, right? It's that's a- exactly right. And I think that was the idea when you brought him in. You're like, okay, this guy's going to be economical. He's going to be heavy on the analytics, which we love, and he comes from this tree that has produced successful guys. But that's when you get him in and you go, eh, you know, maybe the personality wasn't there because James Click wasn't the. He wasn't the Jerry DePoto. He wasn't. The, he didn't adjust like Andrew Friedman, who all of a sudden got the purse strings taken off. So he, you know, out in LA, he took, you know, he took the analytics, took the money, and paid big for championship teams. And I think that might have been the expectations that you're going to have somebody like James Click with all that knowledge, and then marry it with the personality and a budget that you're able to work with. And it just didn't. Certain things just didn't jive with those mentalities, and I think that's what created that fissure that was unable to be, to be uh, fixed. And then you add to that the fact that David Stearns, who was the GM for the Milwaukee Brewers, and now has another year on his contract, and they were like, "Ooh, maybe we could bring that guy back." And James was like, oh, "You know what? I, I can see the writing on the wall. I'm going to get out of here before I, before I get locked in for another year and take my chances this year as far as a free agent GM." Yeah, I think that is great insight. And I appreciate, I mean, I love that you ask my initial thoughts and reactions. That's something I hadn't heard or known. And I think you're absolutely right, which is, hey, we got to, you know, the COVID situation and the sign stealing and all the way that just kind of, all right, let's get yeah, some all good the same people time, in here. <laughs> but it doesn't always mesh. As we, and we talk about chemistry all the time in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the same thing. It's chemistry. And it looks like Dusty's a fantastic fit. And James probably wasn't as good of a fit, certainly not for Jim Crane as the owner. So now, where do we go in the offseason? We're going to talk about some players and some hot stove stuff, but who's going to be the GM? Who's not signed? Like, who, who, where do we go from here? Like, you mentioned David Stearns is a good example. I believe he came from Oakland at one point, did he not? Was he at Oakland? Uh, he's guy a, or no? no, he's a Jeff Luno guy. Just, oh, Jeff Luno guy. Okay. So he was yeah. like under Jeff Luno and now he's in Mobile. All right. So, what, what is that the guy? I mean, you're going to, are they going to stop gap it for a year, like scotch tape That's it together the- or? Maybe. Are they going to let you do it for a year? Like, hey, let's no. have Jeff Lumbee, well, the that's general the, that's manager. What's for- well, it, it's going to be a Berkeley guy, but it's not this Berkeley guy. Uh, there's, there's oh, a guy it's going to be Bill the first-round pick, the catcher? <laughs> yeah, uh, Corey Lee's coming at it. No. Uh, oh, okay. uh, Bill Furcus, I think, for the time being, is going to be the acting GM. And then um, 
uh, Andrew Ball is a guy who's very good at what he does inside the front office, and he'll be kind of the assistant. But there's going to be a, I think Furcus may be the the front the the the, the voice at the front, but there's yeah. going to be a lot the guy of voices that has to do him. the I've press conferences. <laughs> yeah, and and announce the yeah. signings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. that. Uh, you're going to get input from some of the numbers guys, but uh, I've heard, you know, ba- Jeff Bagwell is going to be involved. Enos Cabell. Um, I've even heard Jeff, uh, not Jeff, uh, Brad Osmus's name has been floated around. Craig Biggio is already in there. So there's going to be, right now, there's going to be some old school, new school influences. And it'll be interesting to see how that works out because we just had the GM meetings. We are going into the owners meetings, but to what Tuttle's talking about, I think the winter meetings is where you might start to see names being interviewed, and we'll start to investigate some of those numbers on this or some of those names on this podcast when we get into those winter meetings. Boy, you talk about too many cooks in the kitchen. You got uh, Man, you know Osmus, Cabell, Bagwell, Biggio all in one room throwing shit at each other. Like, no, this is a dude, terrible gonna, decision. Like, a, wait a second. That's a food fight waiting to happen, man. Oh, that's gonna be crazy. Hey, why don't we uh, take a break for our sponsors here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network? And when we come back, we're gonna discuss the players, the hot stove players that we know that opted out of their contract, what the rosters are gonna look like, and how the hot stove is kicked off here now that we're a couple weeks out from the World Series. All right, we'll be right back here. Here on the Bleacher Blums podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. (laughs) You're writing notes. Welcome back to the Bleacher Blums podcast. Um, And thanks for listening to us here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. As we mentioned before, my my name is David Tuttle. Uh, the other guy over there is uh, Blummer and right. Blummer twenty seven at Instagram and Twitter at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. You can get uh, anything that you need from us on the BleacherBlums.com website and or um, check us out on YouTube. See our ugly mugs, but our swag nonetheless. And um, we were going to talk about some players now that we're back here. So we talked about the uh, manager situation. We talked about the GM situation mostly or more specifically in Houston. But we were going to talk about um, some of the players here that have either opted out or look like they're on the move for the offseason. So, Blummer, why don't you kick that off for us? Well, I think for for us down in here in Houston, the biggest name is Justin Verlander. He had a had an option to stay, I believe, at around twenty five million dollars, and he is going to win the Cy Young, which should be announced here pretty soon, maybe in the next week or so. And congrats to him on his third Cy Young. He is thirty nine years old, came off Tommy John, and had a Cy Young year. And 
you know, it was great of the Astros to take a chance on him with that $25 million deal with the option for next season, I believe, at the same price. But at the same time, you know, Justin Verlander gambled on himself and won. You know, but at the same time, considering the situation, I think that you've got to evaluate what's my worth at my age. You know, what are my projections? You know, because we know in this world of analytics, they have, uh, you know, they diminished skills is always an analytic that's going to be involved with the age number. But Justin is obviously one of those freakish athletes that's able to perform at a high level at a high age. And I think the one reason or the two reasons he's opt out, opted out of his contract Number one, 39 years old, Cy Young, bounce back, comeback player of the year, all those accolades he's going to get. Number two, just, or Justin Scherzer. What's wrong with my freaking head today? Uh, Max Scherzer in the New York Mets organization. We've talked about Steve Cohen losing his mind, spending freak money. There was no competition for that contract that Scherzer got. He, he gave him $43.5 million a year, and he is in his upper 30s. And I think that's that in combination with Justin's year is what he's looking at and maybe expecting. I mean, do you see a possibility where somebody pays him forty million dollars a year? Um, you know, here's here's I think the real point that you're making is that it doesn't really matter whether he gets forty or not. He had to opt out because you have to see what's on the table. That's all. So mm -hmm. I think even if Justin comes back to Houston because he likes it and his family's comfortable and there, a possibility. he's already won that, the World that's Series. That's something else. Thank you. Even, no, but that's yeah, a possibility. Even if, even if he signs for $26.5 or $27 million, he did the right thing, right? Because he got a little bit of a raise. I'm not saying that will happen. I do think... I mean, you can look at that old age analytics, but you know, every once in a while a Tom Brady rolls along or, you know, somebody like mm -hmm. that. Justin Verlander, what he did this year is pretty much the equivalent coming off Tommy John being 38, I, I think 39 now, but 38 certainly yep. for most right. of the year. I think that uh I mean, you have to opt out just to see what's out there. Even if he signs for 25 million for one year with the Astros, and maybe he gets another two-year deal. And Steve Cohen is still in the market for pitchers, and Max Scherzer <laughs> didn't pitch a whole lot this year. Maybe he has, well, DeGrom's supposed to go somewhere else too, but maybe he could have DeGrom, Scherzer, and Verlander, and you know, they won 103 <laughs> games, 104 games. So I think yeah. to your point. Verlander opted out because he had to. I don't think he opted out specifically to get more money. You just have to go out and test the market. That's I mean, Artie Moreno mm -hmm. paid, you know, paid Pujols a ton of money. And you just you just don't know what's out there. So I I don't think we'll know where JV's head is at until he signs, but I do think they talked about him coming out of a shell this year, being more of a leader and being more of a um True. integrated with the team, yep. the chemistry. Maybe he likes it. And if Jim Crane likes him and they go out to dinner and, you know, he signs Justin for a one-year, like, $30 million deal, I, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And we know Justin did the right thing. So I, I think it's feasible. So you mentioned that he may come back. What do you – I mean, do you see him getting a raise? It's not necessary for him to get a raise to, to have made the right decision, correct? Yes, and I think that, you know, there's always the opportunity that he does get paid, you know, paid a little bit more than the $25 million to come back to Houston. I think that, you know, I I would imagine that Jim and, well, maybe not James now that he's not here, but I would imagine Jim had an idea that he would opt out and it already had a deal ready to offer. Does that make any sense? Like he knew this was coming, so he already like did some, done some of his own homework and kind of came up with a contract idea that you could throw at a guy when he opts out just to be the, you know, just to throw that out there and go, look, 
you can go out and test the market. If none of those other numbers work out or if somebody beats it, go for it. But if not, this number will stay here for you if you want it kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that Justin's going to have to weigh the number, the number he wants per year with the opportunity to win too, because his, his winning window, whether he wants to believe it or not is diminishing just because of his age. Um, you, you can't play for that much longer. So, you know, staying in Houston, you're obviously going to have the opportunity to win more, but I like that you brought up the fact that he still could come back to Houston if he doesn't get what he wants on that open market. I think it's going to be very hard to be honest, to get to the Scherzer threshold, just for me, just in my mind, I just believe it's going to be very hard to get to $43.5 million for him. And that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm i not in his head. I don't think that's the number. I don't think that's maybe what he was. And maybe, like you said, maybe he and Jim talked offline. Like, you know, maybe he gets another two-year deal. Yeah. Right? And and now, right, so he was 25, and then this would have been the last True. year coming up True. at 25. That's a good point, too. Maybe, maybe he gets it's the extra new, year. Yeah, maybe he gets like a two-year, sixty million, and you know Jim Crane's willing to eat that to get you know another really strong year, and then a you mm -hmm. know and then a, and a then a retirement year, something like that, and then he can retire at forty or forty-one. So, I mean, again, that's what's great about this conversation. It's an unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Just one more, just to, just to finish off the JV conversation and give a better idea of, of what position the Astros are in. I think even with the signing of Rafael Montero to a three-year, $34 million contract, they still have, without JV on the payroll, they have maybe 45 to $65 million to play with before they get to that soft cap. Just so, you know, that you have yeah. to take that into consideration too. What can, if I sign Justin at this amount, what, what else could I have gotten or what else could I get for that right. same amount? It's just, you know. It, yeah, it's all about. They're staying not going to sign cap. Aaron Judge. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that's that's probably a good transition going into the New York Yankees. What's their offseason looking like? They, they could lose some big boys in there, and Aaron Judge being one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think the Yankees. I mean, just a quick thought. I mean, they pitching a defense, man. Let's go back to our default. Mm -hmm. Like Aaron Judge, obviously. I mean, had a fantastic year, but they limped into the playoffs, and you know, and he didn't take them to the promised land. Because in baseball, the one man doesn't do it, right? The, yes, the Phillies we talk got about hot this all the time, right? The Phillies got hot, but it wasn't the Bryce Harper show. Bryce Harper certainly stepped it up, and he was fantastic. But man, Schwarber leading off, you know, Scherzer, Stott on defense, uh, mm -hmm. Scherzer, uh, Schwarber, Harper, um, Bohm actually did pretty well. Did Stott good. was a solid. I mean, they just got hot as a team. Yes. So I think that you know. It, even who you know, the Giants are rumored to get Judge. Uh, you mentioned Rizzo is supposed to leave. The the Yankees should focus on a couple more frontline starters behind. I mean, look at how strong the Astros were when they had Verlander and Cole. You should have Cole and maybe two other pitchers behind him. Um, you know, obviously uh, Tyon Ty had a pretty good year, mm -hmm. um, but he didn't get and, to pitch in the playoffs because he was shut kind of, games down. Yeah, exactly. And and Holmes could do it. Their their bullpen yeah. was really strong in the first half and then obviously injuries and they tapered off. But Excellent I point. think that's where they need to build. So, yeah, you can have a splash name come into town, but mm -hmm. you and I both know that that's not. I mean, look, the Astros lost their biggest splash name, Carlos Correa, and look what they did. You know? I mean, they yeah. they had they had a guy like Peña. How does that happen? Well, I mean, I like Jeremy Peña, but damn, dude. Yeah, <laughs> ALCS yeah. World Series MVP. Woo. Well, that that all fell into place. I mean, he was just a cog in the wheel, and obviously stepped it up at the right time. But I just yeah. think that doesn't always happen. My point is, 
it's a team game and you could have Bregman and, you know, obviously you're missing Brantley, but you could have the middle of the order, uh, you know, Alvarez and those guys, they, they, they have all the pressure and responsibility. Mm-hmm. So Pena can just bat seventh and oh, play, yeah. you know, no, and then a, I know he moved up exactly, to the two hole. Yeah. But, so no. talking anyway, about so, the, yeah, talking about the Yankees and their postseason, I want to ask you, there's a lot of talk of that Anthony Rizzo, the first baseman for the Yankees the last couple of years, is now the number one target for the Astros playing first base. So I want to get into the Yuli conversation in a little bit because I think he's on our short list of guys we love in the game. But Anthony Rizzo possibly becoming an Astro, how do you think that dynamic plays out? Or do you even think it is a dynamic that matters to a guy like Anthony Rizzo? Because I feel like it's more for the fan bases uh, to, to have some fodder to scream about. But he's going from an organization in the Yankees that absolutely despise the Houston Astros because they have taken over the American League since moving into it in 2013 and kind of really supplanted themselves as the evil empire. And it's kind of crazy to see the Yankees lose that stature. But at the same time, what if Anthony Rizzo comes over to the dark side? What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of controversy or what does that create for Anthony Rizzo coming over to the Houston Astros. You know, it's funny because the Yankees, yeah, I was going to say the Yankees are the team that, you know, like the Dodgers and the Yankees always end up going on the free agent market really heavy. I look at Anthony Rizzo as a Cub, right? He was on the Cubs team that broke the curse. And, you know, I mean, I look at him as kind of a homegrown player from from them. Now he's been with a couple of teams, you know, I wouldn't call him a mercenary, but he's certainly a free agent guy that can help other teams. I don't view him as a homegrown Yankee. I don't view him as someone that was in the Yankee clubhouse when they got reprimanded for sign stealing or the watch or the iPads or anything like that. I view him as just a guy that's played in New York and he can go play wherever he wants. I mean, that's just me as a lay person. I think he'd I be think a good great. addition. I, You're right. I like the I like the way he played in the offseason. I like, I mean, always with a pitcher's brain, right? I'm like, where would mm-hmm. I pitch him? He gets right on the plate. He's challenging you in. He hit the ball the other way a couple times. They put the shift on, and he just, you know, inside out. Like, he's just a professional hitter, just, you know, very similar to Yuli, which that's always a compliment to Yuli. But mm-hmm. I don't think there should be any sort of, uh, tension between Anthony Rizzo and the Astros and or the Yankees, right? I mean, I, what do you think about that? Like, I don't view him as like this homegrown Yankee guy. I think that's a great way of looking at it. You know, he like you said, he's just a guy that got traded over there because his time was up in Chicago. They found value in the, the ability to trade him and put him over there. And when he was playing with the New York Yankees, you know, I'm not in the New York media or know what the expectations were on Anthony Rizzo, but he was just going to be a complimentary piece. They needed another left-handed bat in their lineup because they're so right-handed heavy. And if you think about it, he didn't have as much power as I had hoped in that ballpark. But at the same time, he is such a good hitter. Like Tuttle is saying, he's a tough guy to try and match up against. He puts together ridiculous at-bats. He had a great postseason. And his defense... How many guys out there, if you're actually thinking of upgrading at your first base position from Yuli, how many guys defensively match up with what Yuli does? And I think Rizzo is actually one of those guys defensively that could do a very good job similar to what Yuli has been able to do at first base. That being said, if they do land a first baseman, whether it be Josh Bell, Anthony Rizzo, or uh, Jose Abreu, I think is out on the market too from the Chicago White Sox. Keeping Yuli in the organization is 
it's not paramount, but I think it's necessary. He lifted the American League Championship trophy. He lifted the World Series trophy at the ceremony. There is a certain love and certain value that Yuli brings to this ball club. And you and I rave about him. We love him. He's a scoop master. And if his time is up at first base, what do you think about the idea of Yuli being your utility guy? He can still play a third base and second base if you need him to. I don't know. Might be an idea. Hey, well, we talked about this last podcast, and I am not a – you had a horrible playoffs. So you're not going to be accepted in here or this is going to happen. But Mancini and Aledmus Diaz struggled, right, in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aledmus has been a solid utility guy for a while. So I'm not Very. saying that he should disappear or he shouldn't disappear. I'm just saying – if Yuli is the guy that you say he is, I like him because you've kind of given me some intel on him, and he's obviously an older Cuban-born player. Um, keep him around almost as, you know, now that the roster's, you know, they're not 25 and hard, you know, if that's the 26th guy, keep mm-hmm. him around to pinch hit in those, you know, he he reminds me of Edgar Martinez anyway, like, you know, the way oh, he swings the bat. Oh, a great like, comp. Wow. Just leave him on, right? Leave him on the I bench. Like it. And let him come in and, you know, hit. And, you know, I just, I like your thought. I mean, you know, I'm sure he would take a reduce. And then just keep him around as long as he'll be around. And then you could keep him, as you mentioned, both, you know, I don't know how good his English is, but certainly for the Spanish-speaking players, he could be solid. And just keep him in the organization. You already mentioned Joe Espada and Omar Mm -hmm. Lopez. Um, You know, those guys are around for a reason. I mean, they're good baseball guys. So I, I just think... You know, if they're able to do it, it would be great to keep him around. And, and you mentioned Rizzo's defense. I mean, that's what really stood out during the playoffs. That I saw, what, who's the National League on the National League side? There were some really good defensive. I mean, Olsen's obviously a good player. Oh yeah, Matt um, Olsen's great. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm just. I mean, there's nobody is comparable. No, Hoskins is not a first baseman. He's an outfielder <laughs> playing first base. But boy, I mean, watching Rizzo pick it over there, even when he ran the rundown, he did it right. He's smooth. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say it because you were saying what a nice guy Yuli is. I mean, Rizzo would be a huge upgrade on defense over there. Yeah. For anybody, right? For, anybody. for most teams, for like yeah. 30 teams in the, you know, in the major leagues. So yeah. anyway, I like it. I mean, you mentioned some other names on the market. It's nice that the Astros are going to have choices, but mm-hmm. boy, if you could bring Yuli back at maybe half his pay to stay on, around the game and be on the team and then keep him, I, I think it's a great suggestion. Uh, one more thing on Yuli, right-handed hitter, Rizzo left-handed. I mean, even if there was that tough lefty-lefty mes- match- matchup, you could still throw Yuli in there and give Rizzo uh, you know, some time off. Or if you needed to give Rizzo a DH day, then you could throw Yuli at first base and not miss a beat. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't touch on the signings. You mentioned Montero, but it looks like the, they're shoring up some of the bullpen. I think there were a couple signings. The whole bullpen's um, coming back. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I know it's pretty solid. So everybody of the round, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. We want one of those guys or two of those guys. Sorry. And we still have Dusty managing those guys. So it's going to be, it's going to be a, it should be a a banner year in the, uh, in the old uh, Bender household again, you know. (laughs) Uh, What else? Breakfast Club reference. Sorry. I know. uh, I got one thing for you, Bummer. What about you? Yeah, that's right. Should be a banner banner Christmas in the old Bender household. But, I mean, yeah, there people are going to be jealous of the Astros uh, all year long. And if with Dusty coming back and he manages them the same way, I mean, watch out, right? So, mm-hmm. anyway, probably enough. I'm on the 
I'm on the Astros bandwagon. Look, I got bandwagon. my World Series towel here. Yeah. Like, you know, the pets' heads are falling off. Um, <laughs> the last thing I got for you, and somebody proposed this this week, and it's a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of out of left field thing, but I thought it was funny. Somebody said, if your team isn't above 500, and this was kind of related to all major sports, you shouldn't be able to raise ticket prices. This was the tanking thing. Oh, and I wanted man. to get your... I wanted to get your thought on that because I thought it was funny because certainly in baseball, when the draft is, you know, you draft an 18-year-old and he might be four years away from the big leagues, there's a much more intricate minor league system and a developmental role, whereas, you know, NBA, NFL, you kind of go right in. But mm-hmm. um, but gosh, you know, that's there are teams that are not trying to win. So tanking is different than not winning, meaning these owners are businessmen. If they can keep the payroll below the, as you mentioned, the soft... Uh, you know, the soft luxury tax or, the, you know, the tax in general, they just kind of mm-hmm. want to stay in the middle, right? Yeah, we'll be third in the American League Central every year and we're fine right there, you know? Whereas, <laughs> you know, when Buck was managing the Orioles and the Orioles and the Rays were in that division, they're always trying to get to the top and they they mm-hmm. view it as a challenge. I don't know from an ownership standpoint if they do that, but they get those young bucks in there. So roundabout way to say, what do you think about putting some sort of, you know, I mean, cause season tickets go up every year. I mean, we know mm-hmm. this in the real society, your rent goes up every year, people, right? They can't raise it more than 8%, yeah. but your rent goes up every year. What do you say about teams not being able to raise season ticket prices? I mean, people are getting priced out of these like mediocre markets, oh, dude. which it's I think is the frustration. You're a Cincinnati Reds fan. You've been, you know, you work in downtown Cincinnati, the stadium's down there. You want to go for the afternoon ball game, get a beer. And, you know, five years ago you were paying X amount and, you know, now 10, you know, five years later, you're paying three times that amount. Um, it just doesn't seem to be, uh, I don't know, feasible, right? If we continue on the trajectory and somebody proposed that if your team doesn't finish above 500, you're not allowed to raise ticket prices. And that puts the onus obviously on the ownership Mm -hmm. group to say, Hey, let's put a better ball club together. I don't know if they could ever implement something like that, but I like the idea. What say you, Mr. Blum? Uh, Well, I've, I've had firsthand experience with a team that has lost 111 games and watched them evolve into a world series champion. And what I, what coincides with winning is season ticket sales, advertising, it's, it's corporate sponsorships. There's so many things that have been, I've seen when this was a stripped down tank machine in Houston in comparison to what it is now. And there's a lot of financial stuff that you can do. They can raise ticket prices. They have the, they have the, I think it's something called a dynamic ticket pricing that's out there that I've seen like NBA teams too, where do where they LeBron's coming to town. So the ticket's going to get jacked up to, you know, a hundred dollars a ticket as opposed to 70 because a certain guy or a certain team's coming in. They do that in Anaheim with the Yankees when the, the Yankees yeah, come in. Cra- and yeah. The so the, ticket the Angels are, are doing like it. five times the amount. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, so they're, it's fluctuating. So there, there's a, there's something that coincides with winning, and obviously you're going to make more money because season ticket sales, mer- merchandise, merchandise is also included, and all that stuff. But that being said, it's interesting to find. I mean, we're all. I think a lot of these commissioners are trying to figure out ways to get teams to play better, be better, not tank. But I feel like the 500 record is a lot to ask, isn't it? <laughs> That's a, I mean, going 81 and 81 in a season is a lot. Asking a team to go out there and get, what is it in the NBA, 41 wins. I mean, that seems like a big number. I'm not, you may have to adjust that and maybe 
Because <laughs> there are certain teams that you know that go out there and win, you know, 15 games. You're like, okay, they are not trying. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could be a very good team and find it hard to play 500 uh, basketball, baseball, whatever it is. But there are teams that are out there, uh, the Oakland A's, perfect example. I mean, you, you're winning 52, 55 games. That is below par. We know that you're not trying to go out there and compete. But where, where do you find that line is the question. And I just think 500 is a little – that's steep, man. That's a tough ask. Certainly for baseball. Hey, somebody put it out there. I like – I mean, I like your thought. But it's yeah, a maybe good it's conversation, a yeah. Maybe it's a progressive scale. Like, where did your division finish? Did you, were you in the hunt? Yeah, did you, I mean, true. the A's are a great example because every year, <laughs> Billy Bean like trades like every guy that he has. Like, you know, they lost Manoa, Manea, or you know, Manoa, yeah. Manea. It was Manea. So, yeah, Sean Manea. Manea. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, and Chapman's gone, and I mean, like one year they're in the playoff hunt, and the next year, like none of those dudes are on the team. You're like, all right. I get you have a cycle for that, but you can't raise ticket prices. And of course, they can't raise ticket prices in Oakland anyway when 3,000 fans show up. So, I mean, yeah, they did that's, anyways. That's, they were like, dude, yeah. s- screw you and then screw you again. Yeah. And I think that's the point, right? So, yes. like, let's, let's, let's treat that's the a fans fine with example. a little more. There you go. Let's treat the fans with a little more respect and a little more care and a little more concern for, you know, I mean, you know, those, there are probably, fewer fans that are more diehard than those A's, like the drummers and the guys that go every night. You're like, yeah, I mean, you know, even our lovely doctor that comes on the podcast, she spends a lot of time at, you know, Oakland Coliseum. So, you know, I I don't know what she would say about that, but maybe we'll have to, uh, we'll have to reach into, uh, reach into the old, uh, well, I don't know, basket and see, see what she thinks. So, you know, as well as I do that at some point, even though we're approaching, podcast number 200 and we're celebrating our fourth anniversary at some point maybe even this off season we are going to be talking about the a's moving to las vegas don't you think uh definitely yeah that would be great yeah. too by the way it'd be great sad so for maybe Oakland, that'll be but great for great for the a's the the raiders have been a, yeah you, raiders and uh knights have been an unbelievable model for why did it move to vegas yeah, it's funny because I had a, a conversation this weekend with our neighbor who's going up to SoFi again for like the fourth time. He's like, yeah, my brother-in-law's coming into town over the holidays. I'm going. I'm like, look, I got a thing from Mandalay Bay that said, come out to Vegas, watch the Niners and the Raiders play. It's 1500 mm. a person, three nights, like you get hooked. I'm like, oh, wow. I would rather go to Vegas and watch the Raiders and the Niners than go up to SoFi and pay $400 for parking and go to a game there. So I think your point is well taken, which is Vegas is a great venue. Mm-hmm. You and I I've been there together uh, during hockey season, and you watch the night there's a any night there's a game. All those Golden Knight jerseys come out, and people are I mean they're in town for the game, so it's just a draw. So I think it's certainly, I mean Oakland. No offense, Oakland, but it I don't think it's the same city it used to be to support um, a full on organization. And I know the Warriors moved across the bay closer to uh, where the Giants play. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Raiders have left, and. Um, you know, the A's, the Oakland Coliseum, until they get a newer stadium or a newer venue. I mean, it's just, it just seems like the inevitable. So yeah, we'll talk about them moving to Las Vegas at some point. So podcast 199, Blum, I think that's uh, wrapped up. In the books. In the books. 
We did it. Yeah, and of course, at the end of every Bleacher Blums podcast, we like to give a shout out to all the military, both veterans and current active duty. We appreciate your your support, your efforts, your sacrifice that you are giving us both home and abroad. And of course, first responders who are constantly running into harm's way, trying to protect us here in the States and make sure that we are safe on a daily basis. All of the doctors, all of the uh, EMTs, all of the nurses, everybody out there who is continuing to you know provide us great health care. And then, of course, the teachers who are doing a wonderful job. We appreciate all the hard work you're putting in. You've got Thanksgiving break coming up, then finals, and then Christmas break. So keep charging, knowing that you're almost halfway through the school year. But we greatly appreciate you and all of you who are listening to our podcast for the 199th time. We appreciate you. We're going to dazzle you for the next, hopefully, 200. We'll see. But uh, appreciate it. Tuttle, you can finish this thing off. Yeah, thanks, Blummer. I was looking up our, our veterans. So the uh, Badger Hero Wad was uh, Mark Carter. So Mark Carter was a Navy Beautiful. SEAL that died serving our country. So as Blummer said, we always like to give a shout out to you guys. If you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And we always encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. it. It was good catching up with you, David. This is our first podcast together. What's your Twitter handle? At Real David Tuttle. Because there is no other. That's right. All right. And I that have was to Dave Tuttle. all the famous people. It's going to make me more famous. <laughs> but it was good, good chatting with you, good hanging out. Um, I hope everybody at. Uh, in the podcast world enjoyed what we had it's it's our initial podcast it's called bleacher blum but until next time y'all be good